Yeah. <laughs> well, good morning. Welcome to Springbrook Community Church. We are so glad that you have uh, chosen to be with us this morning. Uh, my name is Richard, and I'm the lead pastor uh, here at Springbrook. We have Pastor Matt's running our video, and uh, we have Pastor Tim, one of our teaching pastors, is going to be up in a moment. And we have Pastor Joseph, who is uh, overseeing our pastoral care department uh, here. And then we have Bethany Timmons, our worship director. And so uh, then we got Joe Heikus, our sound technician. And uh, so we are so grateful uh, just uh, for the opportunity to be here um, with you uh, this morning. Today is Palm Sunday, and I have to tell you, this is the first year that I can remember we haven't had kids walking through with palms, and so I do miss that this morning. Uh, but we are uh, so grateful for the opportunity to be with you. Um, I just wanted to give you a couple of uh, uh, important news and uh, updates that you'll need to know. Hey, this Friday, we're going to be celebrating communion together. You know, this is going to be the first time I've done it online. I don't know about you. But we're going to be celebrating communion in your homes, and so we want to encourage families, if they want to participate in communion with us, uh, to stop by and get some supplies, get some bread, uh, get some juice, or get your beverage of choice, uh, maybe your meal. Uh, but we want to encourage everybody to uh, participate in communion with us uh, online. Uh, you can go to our website under updates, and uh, we've got some information for you that will help guide your time for that, uh, just to kind of help you to understand what that's going to look like. And then we've also got some really neat gifts for you. Um, we're going to be looking at the seven phrases of Christ. Uh, the last words that he would usher in would be, it is finished. So we've got some wristbands uh, that you can stop by our office and pick up. You don't even have to get out of your car. Uh, you can just drive by our east office entrance. There's a basket there. You can pick one of those up. Uh, but we're looking forward to having a very meaningful experience on Good Friday um, with our church family. And then on Easter, uh, we are really excited about that. Uh, Bethany will talk about that in just a second. But we are really looking forward to our Easter service. Uh, so we want to encourage you to uh, come back and join us. Uh, this is a great opportunity to invite people to watch our service with you. Uh, but we are really looking forward to what God has for us as we go through this uh, season uh, together. I want to let you know also uh, that if you're with us today, we have an online connection card that you can fill out, uh, springbrook.org uh, forward slash the word card, C-A-R-D. And so we would love the opportunity to hear from you if you've got any questions about our time together. Uh, if you've got, uh, just want to let us know that you were with us this morning, we'd love to be able to reach out to you. Uh, we're looking forward to getting back together, but we're also looking forward to uh, celebrating the relationships that we're making uh, as we go through this season. So we'd love the opportunity to hear from you if you're uh, with us today. Uh, just go to springbrook.org slash card. Uh, we'd love the opportunity to hear from you. And I also wanted to let you know that on April 16th, um, our facility is going to be the host site uh, for Versailles Illinois Blood Centers. Uh, we're going to be doing a uh, blood collection uh, for uh, local Illinois uh, hospitals. Uh, we have 45 spots that are opened up. Um, that's going to be a state-run and uh, overseen uh, safe environment for people to donate blood. Uh, and so I think we have uh, probably about 15-20% um, of those spots have already filled up. And so if you want to be a part of helping us collect blood uh, for hospitals and for agencies that are in need right now, um, you can find that information on our website as well. We are really glad that you are uh, here with us this morning. Pastor Tim's going to be out in just a second, and I'm really looking forward to Easter coming up uh, Sunday as well. What are some of the things you're looking forward to for Easter, Bethany? Yeah, you know what? Holy Week is one of the most spiritually and emotionally dynamic weeks in the year because we're going from Palm Sunday, this triumphant entry of Christ, to the darkest day in history on Good Friday, to that kind of hauntingly quiet Saturday, and mm -hmm. then to this incredibly victorious Easter Sunday morning. And so I'm excited just for that, that journey. Even though we are not together under one roof, we're gathered together under one name, and we get to walk that journey this week together. Um, and I was even thinking on the way here this morning about how the fact that as we sing, even in different places, God hears our voices together. 
you know, he hears the harmonies even though we're all apart. Um, so I'm just excited to see how the Lord continues to work in this body and even possibly draws in people who might not have the courage or um, the willingness, the ability to walk through our doors on a typical mm -hmm. Sunday are going to find us um, online on that Sunday morning. And that could really be um, life-changing. That could have eternal implications. So I'm very, very, very excited, looking forward to that. Well, as we mentioned, this morning is Palm Sunday, the day we remember Christ's entry into Jerusalem in the beginning of Holy Week. As Christ entered into Jerusalem that day riding on a donkey, the crowds cried out, Hosanna, which means come save. They said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. It's interesting to note that the people's cries for help and hope were right there alongside their cries of praise to Jesus. So as we worship together this morning, may our hearts cry Hosanna to our Jesus, who is the only one that can save, as we lift his name high this morning, giving him glory and honor and praise. And this first song we're going to do is the one the kids would typically be dancing through with their palm branches. So kids, if you're at home and you're watching, get up and dance for your family. Oh, Let's sing <laughs> praises to our Jesus this morning. Praises rising, hearts are turning to you. We turn to you. Hope is stirring, hearts are yearning for you. We long for you. When we see you, we find strength to face the day. And in your presence, all our fears are washed away. They're washed away. Jesus. 
Oh, your mercy never fails me All my days I've been held in your hand From the moment that I wake up Until I lay my head I will sing of the goodness of God And all my life you have been faithful And all my life you have been so, so good With every breath that I am able I will sing of the goodness of God I love your voice You have led me through the fire and darkest night You are close like no other I've known you as a father I've known you as a friend and I have lived in the goodness of God, yeah. And all my life you have been faithful. And all my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, I will of the goodness of God. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. With my life laid out, I'm surrendered now. I give you And all my life you have been faithful And all my life you have been so, so good With every breath that I am able I will sing of the goodness of God And all my With every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. I will sing 
of the goodness of God. And great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness, morning by morning, new mercies I see. All thy have need, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness, Lord unto Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for who you are. We give you praise and honor and glory this morning because you are the only one who is worthy to receive it. We thank you that you are constant, that you are steady, that you are never changing. We thank you that you are reliable, that we can fall on you you are our solid rock. Father God, we thank you for this week we are about to enter into together as your body. As we walk through this Passion Week and we remember with holy reverence and awe and wonder the miracle that you enacted through your son, Jesus Christ, on our behalf. Father, as we remember Christ coming into Jerusalem, those shouts of praise, those shouts of come save, we know that that very crowd would turn their backs on him mere days later. We remember the road that Christ would walk to the cross. But we thank you for the privilege it is to already know the end of the story too. And we thank you for the celebration we're going to be able to have next week as we celebrate Christ's victory for us. May we allow ourselves to exist in that tension of remembering the darkness of Friday and the victory of Sunday, even as we walk through a dark season now. We know that the darkness can't last. That doesn't mean it's not real, and that doesn't mean it's not hard. This season for many is incredibly, incredibly hard. And we thank you that you invite us to bring our grief and our lament and our struggle before you. But we also know we are not a people that grieves without hope. And we thank you for the hope we have in Jesus Christ. Father, we love you. All of this is for you, and we're in awe of who you are. We pray all of these things in the perfect name of Jesus Christ, your son. Amen. Well, amen. Thank you so much, Bethany, for uh, helping us to take our eyes off of uh, the news of our day and, and, and reset them in a sense, fix our gaze on our God who is seated on the throne, who rules and reigns today as he has for all eternity. Well, I'm so thankful to be able to uh, be with you in a sense uh, uh, this Sunday morning, even though it is uh, through this different medium. 
uh, if I've not had the opportunity to meet with you in person, I want to just introduce myself. Uh, my name is Tim Beavis, and I have the privilege of serving as adjunct teaching pastor here at, at Springbrook. And uh, I want to let you know just how much of a joy it has been for me to see how the pastors, Pastor Rich, Pastor Matt, Pastor Joseph, the elders, and uh, the staff here at Springbrook have been so diligently working on your behalf through uh, this unusual season. I am so thankful for the way in which they have been investing their time and their energy in providing ways to make sure that we stay connected and continue to stay growing in our walk with Christ through this season. And there are some great resources that are available on the church website at www.springbook.com. Org, and uh, I really want to encourage you, if you've not done so, to uh, take time to check those out. Also, would you remember uh, Pastor Rich and uh, the pastoral staff and the other staff members here at the church as they navigate through this time? And uh, please know as well that uh, as a staff, we are, are praying for you. And uh, so now as we come to God's word together, I pray that this will be a time of encouragement for us. We're going to uh, fix our eyes once again on God's word and see what he has to say to us. But as we do that, I want to uh, think about the reality of uh, the situation that we find ourselves in. As many of you are aware, in addition to serving part-time here at Springbrook, I uh, am a part of a ministry that serves in training pastors in various different places around the globe. In fact, I returned from northern Myanmar just about 48 hours or so before the social distancing and the restrictions that we're experiencing right now really came into effect. Certainly, I was thankful to be able to make it home safely and uh, not be uh, uh, more seriously impacted by uh, the travel restrictions that have been uh, placed. But as we went into this year as a team, as a part of this ministry that I'm involved in, we had such hopes, such expectations. You see, in fact, we had looked at the year 2020 and it really looked as if we were going to be able to serve in more countries, more pastors, encouraging and equipping more churches than we had ever done before in the history of our ministry. And then like you, in, in many different areas of our plans and preparations, we suddenly found that those things that we've been looking forward to, those anticipations, those expectations we had had, were kind of swept aside in the face of this COVID-19 virus. And the thing that sometimes can leave us scratching our head is the fact that these plans that we had, these expectations were, were good. They were God-honoring plans. And yet, we've had to change them. And you know, sometimes when we're facing expectations that are not met, we can find ourselves with a whole host of different feelings. We can, uh, we can struggle, of course, with disappointment. We can find ourselves discouraged or with a sense of purposelessness. And for some of us, if we're honest, we struggle with fear. Or maybe we've got this feeling of anger that's kind of been welling up as we had seen the plans that we were driving hard towards kind of thwarted in the face of what's going on right now. I wonder if that is how some of the people who were gathered in the city of Jerusalem that first Palm Sunday 
felt. As there was the, this sense of expectation, this sense of excitement, of anticipation, that maybe things that they had dreamt about, had waited so long for, seemed to be on the cusp of happening. And there was a palpable excitement. Only to within a few days find that their expectations, their plans, their hopes seem to be shattered. And that there was perhaps a shift in the mood of the people as a result. You know, it's not that the one that they put their hope in, the one that they put their expectation upon had failed them. But rather, as we're going to see together this morning, that actually their plans, their expectations, their hopes were simply not big enough. That they had planned for one thing, but God had something greater in store. This morning, we're going to take a little bit of time together as we open God's words to look at Matthew's gospel and chapter 21. It's uh, the passage that Bethany has already alluded to, uh, the triumphal entry account of Jesus coming into Jerusalem. But as we prepare to turn there right now, and I want to encourage you even in your homes to grab a Bible and, uh, and, and join me there in Matthew chapter 21, uh, we need to understand uh, what is happening. And that is that, that within these next few days in Jerusalem, there is to be a great celebration. You see, it's Passover season. And good and faithful Jews would, uh, would travel. In fact, this was one of three times each year that faithful Jews were to travel to Jerusalem on a pilgrimage to celebrate and to worship at the temple because Passover was such a significant moment in the life of the history of the people of Israel. In fact, it, it points us back to that time that we read about in the book of Exodus where the people of Israel were, uh, were slaves. They were in captivity in the land of Egypt and how God miraculously rescued them from that captivity as he sent 10 plagues upon the, pe the people in the nation of Egypt. And that final one of those plagues was the plague of the death of the firstborn son. And the, God had commanded his people, Israel, there in the midst of their captivity, to take a lamb, a Passover lamb, and sacrifice this spotless lamb. And uh, take the blood of this lamb and take a branch of hyssop and dip the branch in the blood of the lamb and, and, and wipe the blood on the lintel of the door frame of their home. And then they were to prepare the lamb itself for a meal in which they were to join in together. And that night, at midnight, the Lord sent the destroyer over the land of Egypt. Destroying the firstborn of all of the people of Egypt. But as the destroyer passed over the land, he saw the blood smeared across the lintel of these door frames. And he moved past, he passed over the people of Israel. They were spared. And not only were they spared, but the next day they were released from their captivity. And so the people of Israel uh, commemorated this, celebrating how they were set free physically from their slavery, but also how God was merciful to them. How he did not treat them as their sins deserved, but passed over those because of the spotless sacrifice of this lamb. 
And so Jerusalem was swelling. The people were gathering together because they were remembering this great occurrence in their history. They were celebrating this festival. And now Jesus and his disciples are also making their way to Jerusalem. In Matthew chapter 20, we are reminded how Jesus already knew all that was going to happen. In fact, he tells his disciples that as he goes into Jerusalem, he will be betrayed. He will be brutally put to death. But on the third day, he will rise again. And yet, despite even telling them this, it seems that the disciples didn't, didn't really grasp all that it was that he was saying. And so we then come to, to our passage here in Matthew chapter 21, and we simply read these words, beginning in verse 1. It says, Now, when Jesus and his disciples drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They bought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and those that followed after him shouted, Hosanna to the son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. You know, as we look over this account, which for many of us is perhaps a familiar passage, what we start to discover is that Jesus is not the Savior and King that we might expect. But he is the Savior that we all need. You see, as I mentioned, there were expectations, and we'll, we'll, we'll see more of those in just a moment as we walk through this passage. But in the context of the whole book of Matthew, if you were to read from Matthew chapter 1 all the way through to this passage, you would see that it's very clear that Jesus here is being portrayed as the true and rightful king. As Jesus and his disciples are making their way to Jerusalem, they come to these, the, these villages of, of Bethany and, and Bethpage, which were probably about two miles or so to the east of Jerusalem. And uh, as he crossed over the Mount of Olives, it would have afforded him just an amazing view of the city of Jerusalem and of the temple itself. And in preparation for this journey in, Jesus gives... A, assignment to two of his disciples. But it's an interesting assignment because he says, go into the village that is ahead of you and you will find this donkey and its colt tied there. Go ahead and, 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 and bring that donkey and the colt to me. And if anyone challenges you, then, then say simply, the Lord needs it. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. 
because I wonder what it must have been like for those disciples to go at the instruction of Jesus, to uh, go and enter into the village and to find this donkey and its colt in exactly the place that Jesus directed them to. And, and, and maybe they were wondering to themselves, how did he know that? How could he possibly have known that we would find this there? But, but more than that, he gives instruction, bring it to me. And if anyone stops you, if anyone asks about it, just simply let them know the Lord needs it. In Mark's gospel, we find a parallel account of this passage. And there Mark tells us that actually some people who were standing nearby challenged them and said, what are you doing? And so the disciples responded in precisely the way that Jesus instructed them to, saying, the Lord needs it and will return it to you shortly. And the people just simply let them go on their way. Now think about this for a moment. If you were to walk out to your driveway a little bit later this afternoon and find two men about to drive off in your car, and you ask them, what are you doing? And they said, well, the Lord needs it. How many of you are going to say, well, if that's the case, go ahead and take it? I don't think most of us would respond in that way. But actually, as Matthew writes this passage under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, he wants us to understand that this is not only a historical account, which it is. These events really did take place. But Matthew, as he writes this, wants us to recognize who this is. Jesus is, Uh, that he is the one who has all all omniscience and authority, that this passage, like so many others that we find in the pages of the Gospels, points us to the true identity of Jesus. Now, when we talk about the omniscience of God, we're talking about a characteristic that only belongs to God alone. We're talking about the fact that he knows all things, which is an incredible truth and and, and something that can really comfort us. Because you see, sometimes people have this idea that that God is learning, uh, that that God is waiting uh, to see what people do. And and after they act, well, he kind of sits around and maybe scratches his head and thinks, okay, now what do I do? You know, wouldn't it be awful if, if, if we had a God who right now was scrambling in the throne room of heaven? He's like, oh no, what are we going to do about this virus? I've got to figure out some sort of cure to it. But that's simply not the case. You see, the God of the Bible knows all things. He's not breaking a sweat. None of this takes him by surprise. And even the things that we see here laid out in this passage remind us of the fact that Jesus, who is himself fully God, the divine son of God, Emmanuel, God with us, that he is omniscient. He knows all things. He knows not only where to find a donkey and a colt. He knows not only how people will respond when the disciples try to take this, he also knows precisely what it is that he's doing. That he is going into Jerusalem to lay his life down willingly as a payment for sin. We have a Savior who knows all things. 
You know, I take incredible comfort in that. But we also see here in this passage something that we again see through the pages of of the New Testament. And that is that not only is Jesus omniscient, but he possesses all authority. He possesses the authority to be able to, to say the Lord needs it and for people to willingly give this donkey and the cult, make it available to him in obedience to his word. He possesses all authority as we see through the pages of the gospels to still the storm, to heal the sick, to raise the dead and to cast out demons. As Matthew will record in Matthew chapter 28, right at the end of this gospel, Jesus, as he commissions his disciples after his resurrection, will say, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. This Jesus that we see, this Jesus that we serve and worship, not only knows all things, but he possesses all authority. And again, Matthew wants us to see clearly here that he is more than just a man. In fact, everything that takes place here in this passage, we see, is in fulfillment of prophecy. Look with me at verse 5. It says here that in verse 4 that this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. And verse 5 then quotes from the book of Zechariah in the Old Testament, from Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. It says, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The things that took place that first Palm Sunday had been foretold over 500 years before they even took place. Isn't that amazing that our God who knows all things, who has all authority, is working out his perfect purpose and plan throughout human history. You know, we find in the New Testament over 300 prophecies that Jesus fulfills. That's a staggering number. Mathematics and astronomy professor Peter W. Stoner has made the statement that the chances of just eight of those prophecies coming true by sheer chance is one in 10 to the 17th power. Now, I've got to tell you, I'm no good at math, so I don't know what that means. But I'm thankful that Professor Stoner continues his explanation and he says that that would be the equivalent of covering the whole state of Texas with silver dollar coins. To cover it to the height of two feet deep and then expecting a blindfolded man to walk across the state and on his very first try to find the one coin that you had marked. The point is that those, the, the chances of it are so astronomical that it would be utterly impossible. And yet Jesus fulfills more than 300 prophecies, one of them being right here in this passage. We can remember that our God who is sovereign, who is wise, who is good, is working out all things according to his purpose. You know, for a lot of us, there probably seem to be 
many things in our lives right now that don't seem to make a whole lot of sense. Perhaps, like me, you have questions. You simply don't understand all of what is going on. You would love to be able to glimpse behind the curtain and see, God, what are you doing in the midst of this? And I think it's okay to have questions in a time like this. But what a joy to know that the promises of Scripture are still available to us today. That in the midst of everything that is going on, uh, with the uncertainty that we may be feeling and facing, that we have a God who is still the same. That the invitation, for example, that we find in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7, is still open to us. Where it says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Cast all your anxieties onto him because he cares for you. Or in that wonderful Psalm 139 in verse 6, we're reminded, Lord, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were not one of them. That every one of our days has been laid out before the Lord. That he sees, that he knows, that he is at work, and that he is accomplishing his amazing purposes. You know, right here in Matthew chapter 21... As this crowd were beginning to gather, as Jesus made this, uh, this triumphal entry into Jerusalem, they were watching the faithfulness of God unfold before them. And so we, looking back at this passage, see that the disciples do precisely what Jesus directed them. They, they, they bring the cult, they bring along its mother as well. They take off their cloaks, they throw them over the, the, the donkeys as kind of a makeshift saddle. And, and Jesus climbs up on the cult. And they begin to travel down into Jerusalem. And as he travels down into Jerusalem, the crowds start to form. And, and, and some of them are lining the road and some of them are falling in behind him. And others are, are, are joining the procession in front. And, and this is an amazing scene. And uh, we can sort of understand this uh, uh, taking place because you maybe have experienced it yourself where uh, a few people start to gather and then more gather because they're curious as to what's happening. In fact, uh, I was in the grocery store just about a week and a half ago and I came to the end of one of the aisles and I saw that there were a group of about eight or nine people all standing there waiting for something. So I thought, well, I better join in and see what it is because maybe they know something that I don't. And as I peered through all of the shopping carts, I saw that they were waiting for the fresh meat section to be restocked. And suddenly I thought, well, well, maybe I need meat. I, I, I don't know. Am I going to be able to get it? And, and, and more and more people started to, to be drawn because a crowd starts to draw a crowd. Or a little more humorously, I remember when I was 
living on the East Coast some years ago now, I had taken a, a day trip with some friends into New York City. And, and as we came uh, around the corner of one particular block, uh, we saw this huge crowd starting to build. And we thought to ourselves, well, let's join in and see what's going to happen. And so we, 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 we joined in with the crush of this crowd. And they were cheering and they were screaming. And there was this sense of palpable excitement. And I, I tried to ask a couple of the people who were standing around me, what's happening? Is, is somebody coming? Uh, and I couldn't understand their answers because they were so emotional and kind of overwhelmed at what was taking place. So I thought, well, I better stick around and, and, and see what's, what's going to happen here. And a few minutes later, a, a limousine pulled up and out got this boy band that I had never heard of. And the crowd went wild and I found myself screaming at the top of my lungs in the middle of New York City celebrating this boy band. That's kind of embarrassing to admit, I confess. But there was a sense that the crowd began to swell and I wanted to know what was happening. And there, that first Palm Sunday, I think initially, people were coming out of their homes. They were recognizing this crowd. They were seeing this. And all of a sudden, many of them undoubtedly, who were faithful Jews, who were well-versed in the Old Testament, started to ponder to themselves, could this be the prophecy that we had heard so much about being fulfilled right here before us? And they began to celebrate. And, and Matthew describes the scene here. And some of them would take off their cloaks and would throw it down on the ground before Jesus. And this was actually a, a, a sign uh, in which people would, would demonstrate that they are placing themselves under the authority of a king. In the way in which they threw their cloaks down, it was like saying, I set myself under your rule and reign. Others were cutting down palm branches and were waving them. And many theologians think that this was maybe indicative of the fact that they, they thought that something similar to another key event in Jewish history was in, unfolding before them. You see, in the year AD 164, uh, there was a, a Jewish man by the name of uh, uh, Judas Maccabeus. And uh, he had overthrown an aggressive foreign leader who had enslaved the people of Jerusalem. And, and after winning this great victory against this ruler by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes, the people gathered in a crowd. They lined the streets and they cut palm branches and they waved them. And so there may well have been just really this sense of liberation that they were expecting Jesus to bring. As Jesus rode in on the donkey, it would have been like a king riding in. A king in the days of the New Testament would ride into a city on a war horse with a sword strapped to his side if he was going in to conquer. But if he was going in to bring peace and prosperity, then he would sit on a donkey and travel in to let the people know that he was coming to subdue them in a peaceful manner. And here we see Jesus coming in and the crowds are shouting, Hosanna, which was an expression, as we've heard from Bethany, of save us now. It was a, an expression of praise to God, a, of their dependence on him. And they cried out, Son of David, which was a proclamation of recognition that 
God was to provide a king who would sit upon the throne of David and rule his people and set them free, not from the Egyptians, not from a foreign power like Antiochus Epiphanes, but maybe they were expecting in this day that they would be free from being under the grip of the Roman Empire and experience once again the pride of being a nation that ruled itself. And as they cried out, Hosanna to the son of David, they said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And right here in this passage, we can kind of picture it. There's probably a a, a singing back and forth, an antiphonal cry as some cried out, Hosanna to the son of David. And others cried out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And still others responded, Hosanna in the highest. And the crowd was such that when they arrived in Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and was asking, who is this man? Now, we honestly have no idea how many people were in this crowd. We don't know who most of them were. Certainly, Jesus' disciples were there, but I think that people had emptied out of the villages. People had emptied out of the town. People were coming out of the city of Jerusalem to meet him. And there was this sense of anticipation. Perhaps now is the time that God's Messiah will come and kick out those Romans and reestablish the throne of David. But it always makes me wonder, how could it be that there is a move, a shift, if you like, from this triumphant entry, this celebration of the crowds, this uh, laying down their cloaks and waving the branches to just a few days later, a very different scene. A scene where Jesus has been betrayed, where he has been falsely tried and falsely convicted, and where again crowds are gathered And again, they are shouting, but not shouting Hosanna in the highest. Instead, they are shouting, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. We don't know if it was the same people. There were probably some who were in both of those crowds. So why the shift? Why the change? Well, maybe it was because Jesus was not the savior and king that anyone expected. You see, many of those who were gathered, who had high expectations, who were hoping to see Jesus come in as a kind of a a political savior, a military savior, somebody to rescue them as a nation, only found that after he entered into Jerusalem that the only thing that he overthrew were the the tables in the temple. And maybe they found themselves disappointed feeling let down, feeling like their plans, their hopes, their expectations had come to nothing. He wasn't the kind of savior, the kind of king that they expected. Maybe others uh, weren't so much looking for a political uh, messiah, a, a military ruler. Maybe some of them had simply heard about the miracles that he had performed had heard him teach and had thought for themselves, maybe, maybe he could do the same thing for me. 
And maybe even after entering into Jerusalem, they found that they still had needs that were unmet. And they felt somehow let down. You know, we live in a world today where not so much differently than the world of Jerusalem back then. People are still looking for a savior. They're, they're looking for a political savior, somebody to come on the scene who is going to uh, uh, meet their expectations and do things the way that they think it should be done, whether it's on the left or the right or someplace in between. Uh, we live in a world where, where people are constantly looking for an economic savior. How, uh, how are we going to find somebody who's going to dig us out of this mess or help us get our, uh, back into the situation that we think we should be in? And of course, right now, there's a lot of people who are looking for kind of a medical savior. Uh, we're looking to doctors and nurses and to scientists and to chemists in, in the hope that they will be able to come up with, uh, with a solution to this virus. And, and let me say, if you are a first responder, if you're a, a medical professional, we are so thankful for the work that you're doing, for the tireless hours that you are putting in, for the way in which you are stepping up and putting yourself often in harm's way for the benefit of the rest of us. But if there's one thing that this COVID-19 virus reminds us of, it is the fact that science, that medicine, that the greatest wisdom of men ultimately cannot provide and satisfy the deepest needs that any of us have. And while the people of Jerusalem so many years ago had all sorts of expectations and hopes and plans, they thought that Jesus was going to do what they wanted him to do. When he didn't meet those expectations, perhaps many of them were experiencing a sense of disappointment with him. You know, as I have spoken to different people in recent weeks, I've heard all sorts of comments. Uh, many are uh, rejoicing at God's faithfulness, even in the midst of everything that we're going through. But there are some of us who, who let's be honest, are struggling. Uh, who had uh, dreams for this season and, and, and we've seen them kind of shift and ha have a sense that they are, are gone perhaps forever. Uh, there's some of us who find ourselves in a situation where, where um, we've been furloughed at work or, or where we have lost our job because of everything that's going on and, and, and we're fearful about what that means for this next season. There are some of us who, who maybe are, are left asking, God, what are you doing in the midst of this? Can I really trust you? And again, I want to point us back to who this Jesus is and the fact that he has not changed. Sometimes when we find ourselves feeling disappointed or feeling like God has somehow let us down, it's because the expectations that we have set forth are expectations of our own making. That we have anticipated that God is going to show up in our situation in the way in which we stipulate. But one of the wonderful things that not only this passage, but this whole week before us as we lead up to Easter reminds us of is the fact that while the people all those years ago had hopes and dreams and expectations, and they weren't necessarily bad, 
God had something greater that he was doing in the midst of it all. Because you see, what we need to understand is that while Jesus is not the savior that people expected, he is the savior that we all need. The people maybe had this idea of prophecy resonating in their mind as they saw Jesus coming in. And maybe they felt like, well, he didn't fulfill it because he didn't do what we wanted him to do. But while it's true that Jesus didn't come in and overthrow the Romans, he didn't come in and reestablish David's throne there in Jerusalem. He did come in to conquer something greater than the Romans, to conquer death. He did come in in fulfillment of the prophecies to provide a way of salvation, not militarily, not economically, not politically, but spiritually. Because you see, every single one of us, every human being is in a desperate and hopeless and helpless state because of our sin. Because God, who is perfect, demands perfection. Because God, who is holy, cannot be in the presence of sin. And so whether it be our lies, uh, whether it be our lusts, whether it be those times where we have chosen our way rather than God's way, every single one of us has fallen short of God's perfect and holy standard. And as a result, we are separated from him because of our sin. And there was nothing but nothing that any of us could do to be reconciled to our loving God, our creator. But what we could not do for ourselves, thanks be to God, he has done for us. He gave his son, Jesus who as we're going to celebrate on Friday, as we're going to celebrate next Sunday on Easter Day, gave his life in our place to die our death, to pay our debt, to take our sin upon himself. So that through his victorious rising again to life, a new and living way could be opened. Forgiveness of sins might be available to us and that we could have a new life in him, reconciled to God and the hope of eternity in his presence. See, the people back then had all sorts of expectations, but their expectations were too small. Thanks be to God that he is working out his incredible purposes here as we read it in the pages of Scripture and still today. So how do we respond to this? What do we do with this? Well, for some of us, we need to acknowledge the fact that the thing that's been keeping us from responding to the invitation that Jesus makes to follow him is the fact that we've had all sorts of expectations of what he is supposed to do. And we've at times felt disappointed like God has not held up his end of the bargain. But I want to challenge you to stop and to to reflect, especially today and as we go into this Holy Week, this Easter week, and to ask you, 
is the reason that you have never responded to the invitation of Jesus because you have never really stopped to see Jesus as he truly is? Because you've not laid aside your own expectations and come to him based on what it is that he has said about himself. If you've never trusted Christ as your savior, then I would plead with you to respond to his invitation today, to recognize that the death that we are going to focus on this Friday, the cross of Christ was for you, that he died in your place to pay for your sins and for mine. And simply we can respond to him and the invitation that he makes by, uh, by praying a simple prayer. It says something like, God, would you forgive me for my sins? I acknowledge that I have gone my own way instead of yours. I know that I need a savior because there is nothing that I can do to come back to you. But thank you that even when I didn't know that I needed a savior, that you provided one that I would never have expected. You provided your son to take my place. I believe in him. I confess my sins. Forgive me and grant me your gift of new life. That's the first step that some of us need to take. But there are others of us who are already followers of Jesus. And maybe we have uh, acknowledged him as our Lord and Savior, but over time we have become focused on other things that we've expected him to do for us. And yet, uh, that those are expectations that we have kind of made and developed for ourselves. Maybe some of us need to come back to him and we need to confess that we have been, in, we have been trusting in other things, that we have been looking to God for other things and, and, and we have kind of missed who he is in the midst of this. And so instead, what we need to do is we need to come back in the midst of our anxieties, in the midst of our uncertainties, in the, in the midst of everything that's going on in life right now. And we simply need to encourage ourselves again over the greatness of who he is, to find comfort in the reality of who Jesus is. And then as we find comfort in that, as we find a sense of peace in that, maybe we need to call somebody up. Maybe we need to FaceTime somebody or connect with somebody this week, first of all, to check in and see how they're doing. But secondly, to encourage them because there are a lot of people who are struggling. So why don't you plan to reach out to someone this week, maybe share with them something about the person of who Jesus is that is encouraging you in the midst of this season. And as you do that, why don't you also encourage and invite them uh, to log on along with you this coming Friday for the Good Friday service and next Sunday for Easter Sunday. A lot of us are probably feeling that uh, we're losing track of time in the midst of this season. And maybe a, a great thing to do would be encourage people to put that anchor in their week, to their anchor in the year to celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday and to be reminded of the fact that there is a God whose love is so lavish, whose love is so amazing that he would give his one and only son to take our place, to pay our debt, to die our death, that we might be reconciled to him. Folks, that is way greater than any expectation of a savior that we could ever come up with would be. You see, God's plans, 
God's plans are always so much greater than anything we could ask or dream or imagine. Hosanna in the highest. Would you pray with me? Father, as we come to you this morning, we confess that we are often prone like those in the crowds that first Palm Sunday to come with all sorts of plans and expectations and ideas of what we think you should do. And sometimes we get so focused on our own plans and our expectations and our ideas that we lose sight of the reality of what you are doing. Lord, I pray for each one of us and that you would help us to fix our gaze on who you are because you are great and glorious. And even though we don't understand all that is taking place in our day, we know that you are good. We know that you know all things, that you have all authority and that you are working out your great and good and glorious purposes which cannot be thwarted. Lord, may we find peace and comfort and yes, even joy in the midst of everything we're going through in the knowledge of that truth. Uh, Lord, we pray that as we enter into this holy week, as we begin to fix our eyes upon Good Friday and the sacrifice of Christ on our behalf and next Sunday, Easter Sunday, the glorious resurrection. Lord, would you set within our hearts a joy and a worship Would you prepare us through this week so that as we gather around our screens and celebrate again in just a few days, that we would truly be in awe of the greatness of your love and your mercy and your grace toward us. And Father, would you lay on our hearts and our minds this week somebody who you would have us reach out to, to encourage, to check in on, perhaps to invite And Lord, would you use us as vessels of your grace towards those that we minister to. And Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. And most of all, we thank you for the wonder of who you are and how you have made yourself known to us through Christ. All praise and honor and glory be to your great and matchless name, Hosanna in the highest. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you again for spending some time with us this morning. As we wrap up this time together, I want to leave you with this blessing, this benediction. Simply, I pray that the Lord would bless you and keep you. I pray that the Lord may make his face to shine upon you, that he would lift up his countenance upon you and grant to you and your loved ones and your family his peace that passes all understanding. God bless and have a great week.